up until the 60s, every American grew their own food. It was what you did. It was what every culture outside of America grows their own food. Hello and welcome to CSU Spur of the Moment, the podcast of Colorado State University's Spur Campus in Denver, Colorado. I describe this as just, it's fundamental, it's elemental. Like we are supposed to be digging in the soil. We are supposed to be connected to the earth. We are supposed to grow our food. On this podcast, we talk with experts in food, water, health, and sustainability, and learn about their current work and their career journeys. Today, I'm joined by Linda Apple-Lipsius, the executive director of Denver Urban Gardens, and co-founder and board member of Titulia, which sells sustainably raised organic hot teas, iced teas, and tea sodas throughout the U.S. We will talk more about Linda's journey, but I'll also note that she has been a VP for Orange Glow International and an account manager for Young and Rubicam. Linda lives here in Denver with her husband and two children. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Jocelyn. Happy to be here. So let's start with Denver Urban Gardens. Can you tell us a little about the organization and what does it do? Absolutely. So Denver Urban Gardens, otherwise known as Doug um, for short, uh, is a community garden organization. And we have been around for 43 years and we um, have 192 community gardens across six counties in Metro Denver. Um, we're actually the largest independent community garden organization in the country. Uh, I say all this, I can't take credit for it. I've only been there two years. <laughs> These are the stats behind the, uh, behind the organization. And we support about 40,000 people with our garden program, our food access programming, and then our education and skill building. Wow, that's incredible. It's a very large organization. You said you're the biggest. Do you know who is who's right behind you? How do you compare... <laughs> well, we're so um, we're the I say we're the largest independent community garden organization in the country. So, like like New York City, they've got you know their organization has five hundred gardens, but it's part of the Parks Department. So we're an independent nonprofit. A lot of people actually think we are part of um, Denver Parks or Denver, the city of Denver, um, but no. So we're independent. Uh, yeah, and I think pretty significantly larger than um, the other independent nonprofits for sure. Well, that's incredible. Can you tell us a little bit about each of these gardens or an example of one of these gardens? Obviously, you can't tell us about all of them, but maybe you can tell us about a few of them. What are some of your favorites? How do they operate for someone who's not familiar with an urban garden program? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, in, in community gardening is, a, is sort of a funny thing. I feel like everyone's kind of heard of it, but nobody really actually knows what it is, um, unless you are a gardener, a community gardener. Um, so the way that these gardens work, so they started in like the 60s and 70s um and like it, it got it started in like detroit and philly and new york and it was for city you know urban city apartment dwellers who didn't have a place to grow their own food and so they would take these vacant lots and they would like over time you know turn them into gardens and farms and um and so that's kind of the origin of it. And then when Denver, when they started, you know, popping up in Denver in the 70s, same thing. It was the the original gardens are up in the highlands. And um, it's, you know, it, it was people who didn't have their own land, who wanted to grow food and also want to get come together in community. And the way it works is we have 192 gardens, but we don't own the land. We do own seven parcels, but um, we partner with landowners and those landowners are typically parks departments cities, 
school districts, housing authorities, senior centers, and we work with them. We have a lease or a land use agreement where we care for this parcel or this part of the land that um, has been designated a community garden. So these gardens have individual plots and our gardens are anywhere from five to 150 plots. So they can all over the show um, in terms of how big they are. People rent individual plots for the growing season. And Denver, of course, it's a tiny six-month growing season. And they pay average of $45 to use the plot. And then there's a sort of $25 duck dues that goes with it. They can grow anything they want for their own family consumption or their own personal consumption. And for their own, and then we ask that 10% of it is donated. So either to a local food bank or a basket outside the garden, or sometimes people just have donation plots where they welcome the community in. I think the, the bigger sort of like, you know, picture and impact of these gardens is yes, it's, it's a great place for people to grow food. But what I've been really focusing on since I've been there is, is more is the other stuff is the sort of broader impact of these gardens. And they are really unique ways for people to come together in community. Like we've kind of lost so much of that, especially with COVID, especially with devices. And, you know, so it's a great way for people to come together to do, to build something together. It's a great, um, you know, climate action. You can actually really have a lot of positive sort of collective climate action, great skill building, mental and physical health and well-being, food access. And then we also are really, you know, ancestral food ways. Um, it's a really neat way for people to grow food that they grew up with or, you know, or sort of meaningful to their culture. Yeah. So there, there's so much going on. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Can you speak a little bit more about some of the community building? Are there events? Does it happen incidentally as people are out working in their plots? Is it a mix? What happens there? So what Doug does, yes, we build gardens. That's actually the easy part. Um, what we really, our, our sort of secret sauce is what we call the human infrastructure. And that includes both garden leadership because these gardens survive because there is someone who has ownership over it, not real ownership, but um, there's leadership in place. And the community piece is, is critical, right? So so you yes, you have your own plot, but you also have to do volunteer hours um, to maintain the common areas and the pathways and you know mulch and the compost bins and things like that. So there's sort of these these group efforts. Um, we really hope that the gardens have potlucks and do events. And then we um, from sort of Doug HQ have been doing uh, what we call micro network events. So we've been going into the gardens, doing learning labs, doing compost doing, you know, educational things. So it, it's totally different. And the beauty of these gardens too, as well, the model is similar. Every single garden totally reflects its community, you know, and in every single way and how they do the plots and what they're growing, you know, so there's, there's a lot of uh, expression. It's pretty cool. Do you have a few favorites? What are the ones that have the most different expression as you put it from maybe the more typical urban garden? I mean, I like to, the, the contrast and the extremes to me are really interesting. So the one that I always, there's a couple that I always call out, you know, so one is the West Wash Park Community Garden um, and it's right across from uh, the Art Students League. Um, it's, I think, apparently it predates Doug. Like it was actually, um, it's been there forever. Um, you know, it's in Wash Park. It's, you know, it's lovely. It is, it is resource. There's pergolas, there's contemplative spaces. I mean, it is just everything. It's got a, a custom iron gate around it. You know, it's, it's beautiful. And all of like the colorful tomato cages, you know, that you get at Home Depot or wherever. Um, so that's one example. Then you go into Aurora where we've got one of my favorites, which is Beeler 
garden in Aurora. And the population there is primarily uh, Nepalese um, refugees. And this garden is stunning. So instead of your fancy metal and plastic Home Depot tomato cages, there are cribs, there are bed frames, there are tree branches that are used as supports for, you know, beans and tomatoes. And it is this beautiful, stunningly beautiful, it, you know, it, it looks, and, and without being disrespectful, looks like a mess, but it's not. It is, it is so elegant and it is so glorious. And, um, you know, so those two are totally different. Yeah, those are, those are two of my favorites. I love that. I love a kind of hyper-local um, expression of what the community wants and needs in those spaces. That's great. Yeah. So um, you also mentioned skill building. I am not myself particularly good with plants. So if I were to get a dug plot and I wanted to garden over the course of the summer, where would I start? Could you help me? I mean, so there's a couple couple parts of that. The, another really great aspect of these gardens is that like you in your early days of gardening will be gardening right next to you know, uh, someone who has done this forever and just by almost osmosis, you will pick up their tips and they will, they will lovingly support you as you learn. Um, <laughs> so that's one way. And then, uh, and then Doug does a lot of community, like formal structured community um, education. So we, um, we have a series of workshops called Urban Roots that there's about 10 that are offered through the season. And that's anywhere from, you know, or basics of organic planting to, getting, you know, minimizing food waste and composting and preserving to, uh, what are some of the other ones? Cover crops, you know, cover crops in the fall. So, so we do have very, um, you know, structured courses. We have an online masterclass um, with our amazing Jungle Judy, who's our horticulturist, uh, where you can learn. And then we have a really great online network called Doug Online. So you can just log on, it's peer-to-peer um, and we also have, you know, expert uh, contributions from Jungle Judy. Excellent. So if and when I decide to start uh, gardening for real, I can come to your team for some help. So my sense of urban garden organizations over time is that when they first were starting, they were kind of going rogue and squatting on vacant land that you know no one was paying attention to. It wasn't being used for anything else, but it wasn't theirs. And sometimes people came along and said, hey, you're actually not supposed to be here. And those gardens had to go away. So I know the urban garden movement or organizations have evolved a lot and are, um, you know, in the case of Doug, very sophisticated. Can you talk a little bit about that evolution and where you see the organization going in the next, say, five to 10 years? What's the next evolution? Yeah. I mean, we grow based on communities coming to us. So we really don't necessarily impose impose gardens on um, communities. So we have gone from over the 2015 to 2020, the organization was building 15 gardens a year. And, you know, really aggressively sort of placing gardens around the city. We've definitely slowed that down. And we're, you know, the evolution is, you know, we're going deeper with what we're doing. So we're now doing gardens that we're doing a couple this year with a, with a grant that's looking at adding sensory gardens. Um, you know, so they're not just food producing, but it's contemplative spaces sort of to that, you know, mental health um, and wellness aspect. Uh, we are adding food forests to our gardens. So historically, dug gardens have just been in-ground annuals to grow your veggies, um, but we're adding perennial trees, bushes, and vines. Uh, it's a permaculture concept that's going to add really significant biodiversity to our gardens, but also be 
true community resource um, in a community orchard that the community is caring for, very different from the, you know, the plots. Another thing, another sort of aspect of the organization that we're really starting to develop is we call it community collaborators. So we are partnering with home builders and developers uh, and management companies who want a garden as an amenity for their community, or they've already built it and realized, hey, just because we built it, they didn't come. (laughs) Could you come in and help us? So that's more of an earned revenue piece that we're starting to develop that, that there's a huge amount of interest. So, so we're sort of taking it in a lot of different directions for sure. You know, fundamentally it's, you know, it's kind of the same as it ever was. And it's also really interesting, the, the sort of land availability situation in Denver. Like I, you know, we, we have this sort of collaborative of garden leaders from around the country and, you know, talking to, you know, my colleagues in St. Louis, it's like, they just have plot lots everywhere. Yeah. So it's like what, you know, how, you know, and here it's like land is really at a premium, but, um, but there are, they don't take up enough space and they're still, you know, I think, I think we could go from 192 to a thousand if we wanted, you know, the demand is there. We have waiting lists for most of our gardens and, you know, we could do a lot. Maybe you could speak a little bit more about that demand. There seems to me to have been a real increase in interest in growing one's own food over the course of the last, say, 10, 20 years. Certainly there are some great benefits to that. Maybe you can speak a little bit about why you think it is that people are increasingly interested in growing their own food and what you think some of those benefits in particular are for the populations you're serving. Where to start? I mean, it's like we backing up a little bit, like up until the 60s, every American grew their own food. It was what you did. It was what every culture outside of America grows their own food. And the gee whiz science came along and it suddenly became passe to grow your own food, maybe kind of lame. People thought, you know, gardening like got this like weird, like, you know, um, thing. And when you look at like just the loss of connection, you know, people, people genuinely do not know. There's a lot of people who genuinely do not know that a carrot comes from the ground and not a bag and doesn't come out nubby, you know, like that. And so there's just so, it's been so much loss. And then with COVID, well, people had tons of time on their hands, right? A lot of people were losing their jobs. Um, and then I think, you know, with our gardens, we were able to keep our gardens open during COVID. We were one of the few organizations that was. And people said that the community aspect of the work and digging in the soil, which has proven health benefits to like your everything, um, just touching the soil, and that it literally saved them. Like just being able to go outside to work, you know, hand in hand to grow your food, to have like some agency over your life during that chaotic, crazy time was a huge part of it. And then, and then I think the other thing is that, you know, like health just became so ever, you know, way more important to everybody because there was so much sickness and really starting to appreciate again, like you have to take care of your body and you have to put, you know, Clean inputs are really important and tasty ones because it tastes so much better when you grow it. Yeah, absolutely. So can we talk a little bit about what a day in the life is for you as the director of Doug? So um, I get up very, very early. So I will get up at 3.30 to 4. I know. And it is, that is intense. It is gold. It is gold. Like I get up and that means I, I bake my French press coffee. I have two hours of 
flow. I have two hours of actual thinking work. I have an hour to work out because, you know, when you're running a business or an organization, as soon as you're, as soon as nine o'clock hits or eight o'clock hits, you're done. Like you're, you are everybody else's property. <laughs> like, you know, or they get, you know, they, and, and, and that's fine. And that's great. But like, so, so that early morning is just, just such precious time for me. Um, and then also with the kids, it's like in the evening, I'm not going to work, you know, cause I'm going to hang out with my kids. Um, and evening is usually, you know, just eating and just doing is the most vegetative thing I can do <laughs> possible and get to bed, you know, pretty early. Uh, so yeah. Um, and then the, between nine and when you, and when you cut things off so you can have time with your family, what does that look like? Meetings, meetings, meetings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, and it's a mix of, you know, I inherited an extraordinary team, you know, so a lot of, you know, a lot of sort of team working together and thank God we're back in the office, um, you know, team working together, uh, you know, not necessarily coaching, but just, you know, working with my senior team. And then the other stuff is, you know, creating new partnerships, new opportunities, meeting with funders. Jeez. Yeah. Just, just nonstop. And I mean, and I kind of feel like also in my role, I, you know, yes, I'm in the office, but I really, I need to be out and I need to be showing up out in the world, um, representing the organization as much as possible. And then again, then there's the evening, uh, occasionally social things and professional things. And part of that is partnership development, fundraising, all of the things that that seem to come mm-hmm. along with being at the head of an organization, particularly a nonprofit. Networking, all the all the soft things that you don't, you know, like that you didn't really learn, or that are actually where the really important relationships are made. You know, is is the the a lot of that. Absolutely. And I've heard this from a lot of folks who are at the head of their organization, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, that that part is an incredibly important part of what they do. Managing their team, helping them, helping to support them and help them do their work. And then the, the other side of that coin, um, helping to increase the organization's profile and partnerships and relationships. It's a really big piece. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about how you got where you are. You have worn a variety of different hats over the course of your career. So maybe we can start a little bit with your background. You do come from a family that has a business background, and maybe you can start a little bit with how that shaped your career trajectory. But really, you can start wherever you want. Um, That's just uh, an obvious spot in your case. Well, I grew up in a small home in Littleton, Colorado. (laughs) So I am a true native. So I grew up um, youngest of four, um, very much so. And I in a very entrepreneurial family. So, um, you know, I did not have the dad who had this sort of corporate, you know, like 50 year gig at IBM. He, you know, he was a fundraiser, but then his side hustle was hawking things at the Colorado State Fair or the stock show. I grew up at the stock show at the Coliseum. There you go. Um, And like stuff like vitamins and little carpet sweepers and God, what else do you say? Aloe vera things. <laughs> so it's like, that was, you know, and, and I would be like, you know, I, was, I mean, I was like five or six. So I would, you know, go to these things and see these things happening. And it was, it was, it was a very lovely, lovely childhood. And then eventually he happened upon um, these natural cleaning products. Uh, so which were orange glow and oxyclean and orange clean, and you just kept doing it. And then, and that was actually a product that really stuck. And I ended up 
my summer job was going out to county fairs, like pitching things, you know, like you're just hand to hand combat. And, and, uh, I always say I can sell anything to anyone. I have to believe in it, but I can sell anything to anyone. And, uh, you know, and if you think about sort of an 18 year old kid out there doing that shtick. So, so I kind of grew up in that, in that whole kind of funny situation. And then, um, so I went to college, I went to New York. So I went to college in New York. Um, and then I went to business school, got my MBA in New York as well, um, which also was, was pretty great. I, you know, for your listeners, I highly recommend living in different places because, you know, it's just a really, the culture, even though we're, we're fairly homogenous, the culture is pretty different, uh, you know, in different cities, especially the coasts. And then for business school, I decided for my internship, I would come back into the family business. And by that point, the business had really grown and, um, and I came on and, I set up and ran our European operation uh, and we had just been selected by Walmart to be a global BPI a sort of, you know, product that they were going to get behind. And so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like the luckiest kid. I went over there and I uh, set up the entire supply chain. I, you know, hired a whole team and, you know, and I was 30 and, you know, I had just this tremendous opportunity. So that was fantastic and a great experience. Um, and I was with with the company for about five years, eventually came back to the States based in LA and then we sold the company, which is great, you know? And um, so sold the company and had my first kid in the same week. So my world literally like, keep saying turned right side up. I mean, it was like, wow, suddenly things are very different. And, uh, but it was great. And it was, you know, uh, very fortunate and took some time, obviously with my sweet little baby, Dorothy, and sort of as, as things were proceeding, uh, you know, with the sale of Orange Glow, um, I had started talking with a friend of my husband and mine, who was this guy from Bangladesh, whose family had started a tea garden and they wanted to bring the teas to the States. And so because I had the background in like pack CPG or consumer packaged goods, I was like, yeah, I'll do, do a business model for you. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of helping out a friend. And it became a 15-year career building, building Titulia Organic Teas into a national brand, which was a blast. Then along the way, I started another business called the Mamahood um, up in the Highlands, uh, supporting new and expecting moms and their families. And that one was, uh, I wasn't operationally involved in that. So I had really great business partners. So I sort of had the idea and, and we partnered on the strategy. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the journey. And then eventually I uh, really with COVID kind of took a pause and I was like 15 years. It's a good run. I have learned so much and I'm ready to like blow up my brain again. Like I just want to learn and and do something new. So I stepped down as CEO and uh, the gentleman who had, who I brought in as COO a couple of years ago, moved into that role. So I'm still on the board, still involved, but just not on an operational basis. And then the Doug opportunity came along. Yeah. How did that so, so yeah, you're right. So I took, uh, took some time and then I joined the board of Denver Urban Gardens. Um, and you know, and I was, I was, familiar with the organization. And the, um, soon after I arrived, the organization sort of had some tumult and the, the board was looking for an interim um, part-time executive director. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm unemployed. <laughs> I've like always been a little nonprofit curious. Uh, yeah, I'll step in for a few months and help out. Um, and it came into, I, I, I found a really extraordinary organization. So now two years later, um, no longer interim or part-time, 
um, <laughs> starting the organization. So I always like to say my life is a is somewhat ruled by serendipity, but I think there's a lot to it and being open to it and um, opportunities kind of land. So um, can you talk a little bit about what's been most surprising for you over the course? I mean, we're, we're hitting on it maybe a little now with uh, some of it is serendipity. You maybe didn't, when you were a little kid, think, hey, I'm going to run a nonprofit uh, community garden organization. So some of it is one serendipitous moment after the next, and it takes you down a, a cert, in a certain direction. But maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the other things that have been surprising for you over the course of this career. I mean, I just, I've had all, not every day, as you know, some days are terrible. Um, I've just had so much fun. And I think something that as you proceed down the path, you get clearer on what you bring. Um, and I don't, have you read the book, The Big Leap? No, I haven't. When I when I finally stepped down at Titulia, I had been working with a coach, um, Sue Heilbronner, who um, recommended this book, The Big Leap, that's all about your zone of genius. And if you've heard, have you heard of that? Zone of genius, okay. So the idea is there's your zone of genius, there's a zone of excellence, and there's a zone of competence. Zone of competence, yep, I can do my job. I'm going to keep my job. That's great. Excellence, you know what? You might even be in the C-suite. That's great, but it's still a job. And then there's your zone of genius, which is where you play that is effortless for you. Yet you deliver more than anybody on the team because it's it's what you're meant to do. It's it's your it's it's the right fit. So your 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 employer is getting great value for money because you're super productive and you know you're doing it so beautifully. You're you, it doesn't feel like work. And I feel like as you go down your career path, hopefully you're starting to hone in on that. You're, you're sort of moving a little bit away from what, you know, you've been told you're supposed to do to what you're meant to do. And I do believe that we are all meant to do something. Yeah. It's just, it's just neat. And that, that's been something. And, and, you know, and mine is very much, you know, yes, I went to business school. Yes, I can do finance and yes, I can do operations and I can do all of it. That's great. But is it my highest, best use, you know, and really figuring out like my highest, best use is, building things and is strategy and is creating something where there was nothing or, or connecting the dots. And I am like, so giddy with enthusiasm that I can usually get people, you know, like, like I'm able to, you know, to sort of bring people along on the journey too, which is, which is pretty great. Most of the time, some of the time, whatever it's appropriate. And, you know, and that to me, I just get a buzz from that. I mean, it's I like, I love the puzzle. I love the puzzle. And that's why knowing that like, you know, that's where I belong. And I need to surround myself with people who are more competent and smarter in the other aspects of business, which is also so stimulating, you know, is, is recognizing that, you know, I'm not supposed to be the smartest one in the room and learning and knowing, you know, also acknowledging what you don't know. So, so that's been, that's been pretty cool. And then I think the other aspect of it is, you know, figuring out the, the causes that matter to you. Because, you know, we spend so much time at work, like I really hope people eventually find work that they love, um, you know, and climate for me is, you know, is the most, the climate and food are the most important things. Um, and, you know, people sort of ask me if there's a through line between Titulia and Doug. I mean, there totally is, right? Titulia, we had a 3000 acre regenerative organic tea garden in Bangladesh that literally restored the ecosystem and the economy and you know, was like incredibly impactful to the entire region. And 
then we educated consumers on clean food and tea and how the tea industry is a disaster and you know, whatever. And, and Doug's kind of the same thing, just at a super high, hyper local level, intentional sourcing, growing your own food, regenerative growing. And so, yeah, so it's, it, it definitely resonates. One of the things that we are hoping we can do at the Spur Campus is to inspire kids, well, kids of all ages, I guess, lifelong learners, to think about how they can contribute to food, water, health, and sustainability challenges, regardless of their background, and maybe regardless of what subject matter they're most interested in, right? You could be a kid who wants to fly drones, and there's a lot of opportunity for you in all of those spaces to contribute meaningfully. And what you just described also is, I think, something similar. It's about finding the right fit for you in your work life and how that right fit can make you a powerful contributor to solving these big global challenges that we know we all need to come together to solve. And it's partly also about kind of putting together the right team. You mentioned wanting to have people around you who are really good at the things that maybe are not your what do you call it? Zone of genius? Zone of genius. Zone of genius. Yes. So um, I think that also connects to a lot of the thinking we're doing around diversity. So there are a lot of things that you just described in that career path that I think are really resonant for those of us who are thinking about how to um, make Spur impactful as well. So I wonder if you could think, talk a little bit about what would you tell someone who is a young person who is maybe in high school or in college who is thinking about how they can meaningfully contribute and um, what guidance you can offer, given how much of paths are frequently surprising doors that open that you step through? I mean, I think in terms of valuing the careers that you describe, you know, in food, climate, water, all that. I mean, without that, there's nothing. <laughs> I like, I think, I think if people back up a little bit and, and we need lawyers and doctors, like I'm not, you know, but at the same time, like, if we don't have a healthy, you know, thriving planet, like it, it's, it's just, it's so foundational and fundamental, you know, working to improve, you know, the sort of world that we live in. And in terms of, I think finding the path maybe is, is I think where you're going with that is, is um, I think a couple tips, you know, things I have, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you think you're interested in kombucha, I don't know, go to everything, like showing up, is like the first, second, and third thing you need to do, you know, like just, just go like, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm really tired and I want to watch this show and there's a, somebody talking about something, it's like, just go because you never know who you're going to meet and you never know the spark that, you know, that is going to be sort of lit. I also, and if I'm going down a totally different path, you can stop me. Um, but I also like think, you know, in addition to going to everything, maybe more importantly, talk to everyone, everyone, like who's even tangentially interested. Like, yeah, you've got your drone friend, you've got your, you know, your ag friend, like just keep talking, keep talking. And then, and then the, the connections will start because we're all, there's so little, any of us know, and everyone has such a different perspective and, you know, exposing yourself to different people and putting out your idea like, you know, or your, you know, your entrepreneurial idea to like everyone and getting their take on it. Yeah. And just kind of being open to that, I think is really, really important. And, and it's going to open doors because we're so, we're so, we're all so myopic. It's just, just inherently we are that I think that can create uh, opportunities. 
Yeah, I think it's great career advice. Go everywhere. Talk to everyone. Mm -hmm. You never know what connections will come from that. And yes, and education and skills also super important. Oh, <laughs> so, details. Like, also get I mean, an education uh, honestly, and, and have some real skills. That's a that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's funny. Like, I gotta say, like the you know, I, I mean, I, I I think an MBA is fantastic. Like, I recommend it for everyone in nonprofit, nonprofit, and only because. At the end of the day, like you have to adhere to accounting standards. Like you have to like know how to, you know, do a PL. And and I think something that if you want to save the world, that's great. But it, it has to be sustainable. It has to be a business or an organization that can survive and make its case in the world. So so like I view the business degree far less mercenarily, mercen you know, like like it's more it is just a tool to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. So where can our audience find more information about Doug and about Titulia if you want to share that as well? And we'll link to everything you, you tell us uh, in the show notes as well. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, both of my websites, so Doug, uh, Doug.org and Titulia.com. And then, like I say, with Doug, we've got this great network called Doug Online that if you're interested in sort of geeking out on the garden front, you can join that. Yeah. And then uh, come to our gardens, come to our galas, come to our classes and uh, join in the fun. That sounds great. Thank you. So I have my final question for you, which is our spur of the moment question. You don't know what it is going to be. Sometimes I don't know what it's going to be until I start it. So here is my question for you. You've, you've worn a bunch of different hats over the course of your career. Is there a path not taken that you sometimes wish you had in terms of a career? Like I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was a kid. I'm obviously not that. And I'm not kissing up when I tell you I want to be a farmer. <laughs> okay. I mean, you kind of are indirectly. I really like, like, I, oh my gosh. I, I don't, I don't know if it will ever happen, but um, the idea of truly being out there and growing food and, uh, you know, stewarding the land uh, is, is something I ultimately would like to do. Stewarding the land is something that you are doing through Denver Urban Gardens. So thank you for the work that your organization does. And thank you so much, Linda Apolipsius, for joining us today on Spur of the Moment. Really appreciate your time. The CSU Spur of the Moment podcast is produced by Kevin Samuelson, and our theme music is by Ketza. Please visit the show notes for links mentioned in this episode. We hope you'll join us in two weeks for the next episode. Until then, be well.